Welcome everybody to My Jazz Joint here at Diddy TV. Listen, I'm Lee Warren and we have jazz conversations on a regular basis with jazz greats around the world or around the corner. And tonight is no exception because right here at the DiddyTV.com station, we're joined by internationally renowned jazz great Kirk Whalen. How you doing, Kirk? What's going on, man? Around the corner. That's right, man. How about that? First time I interviewed with you, I was living a lot further away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we like to say around the world and around the corner because our audience is global. Yeah. And we're real happy about that. We're so pleased that you're joining us tonight, Kirk. I know our friends at DiddyTV.com uh, around the world are excited that you decided to join us. And uh, we really wanted to talk with you about who you are. This is up close and personal. I promised our audience that you're going to tell them all about who Kirk Whalem is and what Kirk Whalem's all about, and we're hoping to do that. So uh, that's why you're here, man. Every single detail we're going to go into. <laughs> this is going to be the unabridged version. Finally, we get to know who this guy really is. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's well, right. I'll say this, though. Being back in Memphis is awesome. To be here with you, to be uh, in Soulsville, to be in a place where I did a record once called Round Trip uh, a few years ago, and, and really it was, it was as I was moving back home to Memphis, the thing I said I would never do. And, and that really has a lot to do with who I am musically, so I mean, we can, we can go there. Absolutely. Well, you know, I know one of the things that I was hoping to do tonight was really to talk about your music, mm -hmm. uh, the, the music that moves you. Mm -hmm. uh, your inspiration, the early years, I mean, how you really got into it. Because the idea of this program is to really share the story of what it takes and what it took for you to become who you are today right. yep. and, and all the influences. But why don't we start, Kirk, if you don't mind, with the early years of Kirk Whalen yeah. in Memphis, Tennessee. Absolutely. Well, I like the way you put it, you know, the, the things that, what did it take to, to, to get me to where I am, which, by the way, is on the way somewhere. Right, you know, exactly. I always like to say that, you know, as a jazz musician, um, I heard the great Sonny Rollins recently uh, do a, an interview similar to this, and he was talking about that, about how, you know, where I am is not where I'm headed. You know, this is a stop on the way. And so when people took, sort of take a, a photo clip of that, you know, of where you are, it, it, it's important to contextualize it. It's like, man, I'm headed somewhere else. Um, artistically, I want to continue to grow and develop and evolve. But where I started, man, was, was right here in Memphis. And I started, uh, my family was very musical, so I could get into my grandmother's and my, and, you know, my grandfather. And then my dad, everybody loved music. And even, you know, he was a preacher, but he loved music. But I started the saxophone as a 12-year-old, and I was <clears throat> issued an instrument because in public schools back then, when you got there to seventh grade, you got an instrument, uh, or you were in the choir. It didn't matter if you were going to be a musician for life, you got issued that instrument. And that was, that's a big part of what we have to readdress in our current situation politically. The, and because of what it did was it changed my life. Um, as a 12-year-old, to get that saxophone, man, that was a big, big moment for me. And I started listening to people like Hank Crawford, who's from Memphis. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, just recently I played at his funeral. So, you know, I, I, was, I was impacted by the great Memphis musicians first, especially gospel. You know, I listened very intently to gospel singers. And I feel like what I ultimately do on the saxophone is the result of me listening to gospel singers. You know, um, people say, well, you know, what saxophone players did you listen to? Well, that came later. Really, I'm all about singing through the instrument. And the singing that I like to do is really about gospel, both in the substance of it, because I love Jesus, 
but also stylistically, that is the music that, that first just lit the fire for me. And that, and that hasn't changed, you know. Fast forward, I'm touring with Whitney Houston, we'll talk about all that, but you know, I, I told her then, I said, Whitney, I was listening to you. You know, when you first came out, you were one of the ones that I listened to in terms of how I phrase things on the saxophone, you know, and then there was Aretha Franklin and all these others. So to say that where I started from, really I'm still, I'm still on that path, and that is to kind of vocalize through the instrument, to, to connect with people's hearts using this language, the unbelievably powerful language of music, especially melody. That's, that's, that's who I am, that's, that's where I started, and that's where I'm headed. So you sort of use the sax to humanize. I mean, you're almost making it an instrument that's a human instrument, if you will, by mm -hmm. emulating the sounds of many singers that you liked in the early exactly. days. Exactly, and, wow. and it is about communicating. You know, I think that's the difference. You know, um, that combined with, you know, conviction. I think that, you know, when a person speaks from a vantage point of conviction, when a person plays an instrument from, the, from that vantage point, there's something weighty about it. There's something that grabs your attention. Um, and again, it's hard to define that thing, that conviction. It could be an artistic conviction. It could be a spiritual conviction. But it's something, it could be a combination of all of them, but it's something that comes from deep within. And you're vulnerable. You're basically naked out there in front of these people. But, but that's just the, that's the price you pay because it's like you must communicate with this thing that you've been given. Exactly. Now you're talking about, you know, Memphis music, you're talking about gospel. Uh, I've also read that uh, you were sort of influenced by rock and jazz as well. Right. So these four genres, if you will, coming into play to really sort of shape what you're doing in addition to the vocalizer. That's right, yeah. I mean, as a young musician in a town like Memphis, you get it all. <laughs> right, know? exactly. And I was into the Barcades and I was into Grand Funk Railroad, you know. Okay, okay. Um, you know, the James Gang and uh, Edgar Winter, you know. Ooh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, right. I was in all stuff. of that stuff, man. So, um, yeah, all those things have a big part. I guess, again, if you get closer and closer to the root of it, really there's there's gospel, you know. and. And, and by the way, that, that is also true about most popular music, that really if you trace the roots of it, you can't get too far away from gospel, whether that's black gospel or, or traditional white gospel, um, southern gospel. That's really where the stuff all came from. Sure. Now, now, you're moved by the music. I know from a spiritual standpoint, it's inspirational to you. I mean, mm -hmm. it's almost like communicating, as you say. I mean. Right. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I, I did a, I just finished seminary, and I did my master's thesis on, on the connection be, uh, between arts and theology, and in particular, you know, sonic arts. And John Coltrane was one of the main focal points of, of my paper. And I talk about that, the fact that he was, when he was in that, that creative moment, that improvised, that improvisatory moment, that's a hard word to say, he was, he was all absolutely connecting with God vertically and with people horizontally. He was just just a big old open antenna, you know, and he was transmitting something and receiving something at the same time. And um, again, the, the minute we begin to try to describe this stuff in words, you know, we, we just burn right, it down. Right. You yeah, know, it, it yeah. just, it kind of takes away from it. But, but at least we can say that there is a, there is a mode of communication. Again, my, my new record's called Romance Language, right? Well. Really, I mean, I speak French, I, I speak Spanish, I, I love languages, but the language that I speak and I've been working on since I was 12 
is the language I'm using. And that's the language that can carry the most data. It's like if you think about you know, <clears throat> USB 2, right? These, these new cables we have. Um, you, you know, it's how oh, you can, so much data can travel on a cable. But man, if you get light pipe or some of these other kinds of cable, you can get so much more information down the line. And for me, that is music. You know, especially instrumental music, you can carry so much information that it's, it's too much for the brain. It mm-hmm. just goes, it ha- you have to receive it with your heart. You know, you can't process it. That, you know, your computer is not fast enough to process this thing with my, with my metaphor. You have to direct that to the heart. And it comes from the heart. And the person is edified. The person is impacted by that which you've, you know, shared. And you are too. It's like this big cycle. Um, the great Charles um, Lloyd was here recently. Charles Lloyd is, you know, arguably the most famous saxophone player from Memphis, for sure. Uh, and he's world-renowned. And he's 73, I think. And, you know, he's one who, you know, I'll say, you know, what I'm doing, I'm trying to get to where he was, you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, and that's the way it is, you know. Like, jazz has that kind of dynamic where, where we're constantly aspiring towards the great art of our forefathers and foremothers and then trying to leave something uh, inspiring for the ones coming behind us. Sure. Well, you know, I remember talking to Al Jarreau once, and uh, I was uh, chatting with him in an interview, and I said, well, now, you know, you're like a thespian on stage, and, you know, you're, you're really into it. And he, he, he immediately turned and he said, you know, Lee, this music is from the right hand of God. <laughs> you know, and, and I love the way that, you know, that sort of just channeled through him at that yeah. moment. And, you know, when the spirit moves you, and yeah. he just seemed to really articulate in many ways some of the things that you're articulating now okay. about how this music impacted him. Let's uh, revert to a quick second. You know, when you get to a plateau where you are and you continue to aspire and, and go on and learn more and produce more like you do, Kirk, you really you travel that road with a lot of people. Of course, with you, it was your family initially. Uh, I know your father, great guy, uh, Reverend Whalem. Uh, there's more Reverend Whalems in your family, <laughs> in your right. musically gifted and religiously gifted family. Um, but, you know, you also traveled the road through school, okay, mm-hmm. and you practiced and you had your acts. Uh, you know, you, you, you went to Melrose High School. I heard you before we came on the air tonight mm-hmm. talking about some of the teachers that you had before. Tell us a little bit about that, and then we're going to talk about some additional things. Sure. Um, music is absolutely one of those things that you can do it on many levels. You know, there, there are, are people who just pick up the guitar after work and it's just relaxing to them. Never had a lesson, never wanted one. And, but that's fine because music is, is that it's participatory, uh, you know, endeavor. Uh, but at the same time, jazz music, much like classical music, has this other element um, called, you know, virtuosity. And virtuosity is not something that just happens because you pick up the guitar <laughs> and strum it. Um, virtuosity is all about hard work, systematic hard work, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and that is a lifelong journey. And because music came from God, nobody down here is ever going to perfect it. You're never going to be, uh, you know, you, as they say, you know, I've mastered this instrument. Well, there's no such thing. You know, but there are some who, wow, you know, they sure are better than most. <laughs> you right, know, yeah. Yitzhak Perlman, you know, Alger Road, George Benson, you know. But for me, that process began, um, it really began with a big letdown. 
was in the eighth grade and I tried out for all city band. And I figured just, you know, the people at church have been telling me for that year I've been playing, said, oh, honey, you just play so good. God just gave you that gift and you're just good. You know, plus you're a Whalem too. You know, like <laughs> you start to feel like there's some kind of entitlement, right? Uh -huh. So I, my head kind of explode, you know, started right, to swell right. pretty big. Yeah, and yeah. When I went to trial for all city band, I took my big old head in there <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and didn't make any chair. You know, they have first chair, second chair, third. I didn't make any chair. Right, right, right. And that was because I figured out that day that I had not practiced. I hadn't practiced the material. You see, because there's a very pragmatic element. The praxis, as they say, to what this all is, is about hard work, and there's no shortcuts to that. So now, again, that's not to say I couldn't, you know, make a great living being a pop musician or whatever. So I just hold a horn a certain way and kind of kick my leg up or hold a long note or whatever. And people, wow, he's really amazing. Well, is he really? You know, I mean... You ask a jazz musician, say, how good is that person? <laughs> You're like, can't play his way out of a paperback. Right, you know? right. But, but that's because virtuosity is woven into the fabric of what jazz music is. It's, the under, it's like underneath the hood. You know, you can polish that car all you want, but, but if you, you got to have that engine's got to be running really fine. And that is what we do for all these years. I've been practicing the saxophone for 41 years. You know, and I was practicing before I came here, and and, and but you do it because you love it. And, and you'll be practicing when you leave. When I leave here. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We got to stay on time. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. But listen, I want to know, and I'm sure our audience wants to know about some of the the first gigs. You know, I've read about you. Okay. I know about your background <laughs> musically, and I've read the about post you. Office. The post office. Well, the post office. Well, you know, interestingly enough, the post office here in Memphis is named after your father. How about that? How man? about that? My father. That's right. Kenneth yeah, Wayland. Yeah, yeah, Reverend Kenneth. Absolutely. But your first gigs, I mean, yeah. I remember some of my favorites, you know, like Bob James. I mean, you went out early on mm -hmm. and were playing professionally with Bob James. Tell us about yeah. some of the names, because I know it's been Bob James and Whitney Houston, mm -hmm. and, you know, you've got uh, G with Layla Hathaway and Donnie Hathaway and Quincy Jones. It goes on and on and on. But let's revert back to Bob James. Tell us a bit about that, and then we'll move forward. Sure. Well, Bob James effectively discovered me, you know, in quotes they say, you know, um, everybody who gets discovered, they were doing something before that. But, right, yeah. but he was that kind of spark that, that really caused the whole thing to, to, to move forward. And, and he had heard, no, he hadn't heard. He heard me because we were, I was opening a concert for him in Houston where I was in college. Okay. And, uh, but, I, but my band was already together and we were playing at clubs and we had kind of gotten tight, you know. <laughs> Got an opportunity to open a concert for, for Bob James. And they said, you know, be all, always ready, you know. Be ready, and yeah, that for was, that moment. Um, that yeah. was it for me. That was the moment that, uh, that really changed everything where he heard me um, and literally got a call from his manager as soon as he got back to New York, they called and said, you know, Bob James would like for you to, to, to play on his new record, which he's working on right now. Oh, my God. Yeah, and can you come to New York, you know, next week? Wow, <laughs> you know, yeah. wow. What was so, that like, Kirk? Yeah, that I mean, was crazy, man. I still remember that, you know. And my wife, we were married at the time. Yeah, though, yeah. Though Ruby. neither of us were finished with school. Um, we are like, whoa, you know, can you get out of class, you know? But uh, yeah. so I got a chance to go and play with him. And then he got me signed to Columbia. And then he produced my first three records, and then, and then, and then. But it right, was that, right. it was in hearing what I was doing that, you know, that changed everything. And I tell young musicians that the break is going to happen. It's not like, how can I, you know, 
how can I connect and how can I, you know, network and all of that. It's like, no, work on your craft and your show or whatever it is, because what's going to happen is that that break's going to happen when you're not paying attention, when you're not even thinking about it. Are you ready in that moment? That's the question. Right, right. Are you ready in the moment? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, from there, you've gone on. I mean, first of all, you went to school where? In, I went in, to Texas Southern. In Texas Houston. Southern yeah. in Houston. Okay. And, you know, we'll talk about this briefly. Uh, I, I know that you were obviously very close to Whitney Houston. So you're in Houston. Now you get to play with uh, a, a performer that was unbelievable, Whitney Houston. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about that. Sure. And, yeah. yeah. Well, experience. so, you know, I'm, I'm making records. By now, I've got like three or four records out, maybe five. And um, I play a gig out in L.A. At that, that moment, we had moved to L.A., and I had a jazz gig. And this gig, I wanted to try somebody new, a new bass player, because um, I wanted to try to, so I'm just now in L.A., I want to try to sort of get to know some of the musicians out there. And I'd heard about this guy named Ricky Minor. So I called him up and I said, man, can you play this gig? So we played the gig together. I'm kind of auditioning him, in a sense. Not that he didn't have work, but you know, to have to do some stuff together. Yeah. I looked around and the next day he said to me, Man, actually kinda I was auditioning you too because I just got promoted. I'm not just bass player with Whitney Houston, I'm now her musical director. And I convinced her to hire like a super band. You know, like he said he convinced her, like, you're Whitney Houston, why are you playing with these chumps basically? You know? right. <laughs> with all due respect to who was playing with her sure, before. But, sure. but then uh, he said, you need to have the best of the best. and uh, But it's going to cost you a lot of money. She said, well, I have a lot of money. So let's, <laughs> let's do it. it. Yeah. And so it. he called Paul Jackson Jr. and Ricky Lawson and Bet Sussman and Bashiri Johnson and Kirk Whalum, you know. And and uh, wow, I was really honored that he, you know, he said, you want to go on the road with Whitney Houston. I, I've never gone on a pop tour. I mean, I'm trying to learn how to play jazz. And I never really... I've never been hyper uh, materialistic, so the idea of making a lot of money wasn't wasn't what really mm -hmm. floated my boat. I love money, but that wasn't the, the the motivator. But then when he told me how much I was going to be making, it did kind of help push the needle onto sure, me, sure, yeah, know? exactly. And yeah. Especially because it was money that was going to be con you know steady. Like Ruby and I were used to the musician thing, like. For Easter famine, right? Right, right, exactly. Well, gig here, gig there. Exactly. Right. So, but you keep working on your craft, right? Yeah, sure. Well, with this, it was like, yeah, you're going to have this basically a job where you get this paycheck every two weeks, a big fat paycheck, you know, and we were like, yeah, we're in. But, <laughs> but, and, and, and then, you know, more, I guess, organically, I, I was and still am a huge fan of hers. And I thought, wow, what would it be like to, to play behind someone? A, because I, I, again, I wasn't doing that, I was doing my own thing behind someone and behind someone like her, like a thoroughbred, you know, history-making singer. Uh, and sure enough, I learned a whole lot. Seven years tour with her. We did the Bodyguard, um, which is a whole other story. Uh, it, was, it was an amazing, of course. The, that, that sax is you. Uh, I will know. always love you, yeah. And, yeah, you're right. And you know oh, what? Wow. You know, I, I was making it through the funeral pretty good until they played that. Mm -hmm. you know, that, was, that, was, that was hard. I bet it was. Especially yeah. if you listen to the lyric. Right, you right, know, exactly. If I should stay, I'd only be in the way, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, wow, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's real heavy. Well, now, beyond Whitney Houston, you've also worked with Babyface. I mean, these are names that are just uh, emblematic mm -hmm. of greatness within mm -hmm. music. Uh, who are representative of uh, uh, of just the greatness that music is? Uh, tell us about a few others. Right, um, performing with other people. Like 
I have recorded with a whole lot of people, and and I mean from Barbara Streisand to Andre Crouch. To, I mean just mm -hmm. just people that I grew up, you know, hearing about. You know, Isaac Hayes and and people that I idolized. You know, um, true icons, and and yet. Um, in terms of the live performance thing, um, really that's, that's, that's a smaller group of people because um, the, the session thing, when I was living in L.A., I did a lot of sessions, you know, Go West. I mean, all kinds of bands and everything but the girl and just, you just name it, man. I played saxophone on a ton of records. But the live thing is different because, um, you know, it's, it's like a commitment, you know. It's, it's, I was committed to my own thing and I was really trying to nurture that. So most of the live playing I did, again, aside from Bob James and Larry Carlton, who were two guys that I, I played in their band and then Whitney Houston, really it's it about me, you know, trying to, trying to develop the thing I had. Sure, I got you, absolutely. Well, um, you know, let's talk about um, your family mm -hmm. uh, uh, as well, because I know that your family has been so inspirational. I mean, you have a beautiful relationship with your lovely wife, Ruby. Uh, you've got so many relatives in the music uh, business. I mean, Kevin is just yeah, incredible. Uh, gee whiz, uh, you've got, I think, nephews that yeah. play with Bruno Mars. A little bit about that. Yeah, well, so I'll say that, you know, in terms of the name Whalem, and I do realize that my family does not consist of just Whalems, you know, but right, right, just in right. terms of that name, um, there, you know, you talk about my uncle, who's he's the only living brother uh, of my father, and he's also the oldest, and he's 83, he'll be 84 this year. He's featured on this new CD, Romance Language, but yeah. Uncle Peanuts, right? Here he is, 83. He, he outsings, outplays all of us, saxophone, piano, trumpet, um, and sings, and he's amazing, right? Then my brother Kevin, you know, so here's another generation down. You know, Kevin is an innovator, much inspired by, as you mentioned, the great Al Jarreau. Um, and then now my son is, a, you know, our son is a songwriter, bass player, He's a rocker, basically. He's a he's a rock musician. Kyle, um, or Kyle, Kyle, yeah, yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. um, you know, touring with a lot of great artists and and writing some great songs and in a band called the Wayland Canes, and uh, they're they're really having them. Uh, check them out on on Facebook. And then my nephews are are out there doing their thing. One is in New York, developing his career as a singer. Cortland, uh, Kenneth is a saxophone player, so he's kind of like my musical son. Okay. Uh, you know, and he is really wonderful. Like I, I, I inspired him, you know, at the beginning, and now he's inspiring me. So it's like it's a, it's a cycle, and I love his new record. Uh, it's called "For Those Who Believe." Uh, Kenneth Whalem Jr. Sorry, Kenneth Whalem the third, and then my nephew Cameron is playing trombone with Bruno Mars and uh, touring with other artists and. Um, you know, living in New York, so there's there's a lot uh, to be grateful for, and it seems to seems to be continuing. You know, right, right, yeah. You guys sound like the Kennedys or the Fords <laughs> or something. I mean, you know, well, it's like I'm the hoping, name of music, right, uh, Whalem. Hey, yeah, <laughs> I'm hoping that it will continue to be that kind of you know humility, though. That, yes, that I yeah. Because you know, there's something about you talk, well, oh, a dynasty. You know, it's like there's a kind of in, inherent sort of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like. Uh, you know, where you feel like you, you, you deserve it, you know. Um, that, that, that's um, a, entitlement? Entitlement, yeah. yeah that, that's something yeah. that I really, um, you know, I, that, I don't want that to be the case. I want to always be, in fact, I'll say this, that when I moved to Houston, it, for me it was, it, was not, it was not a question of whether or not I was going to like go to Morehouse, where my father's brother 
Wendell was dean of music. I was like, no way, because see, that's Whalem already. Right. You know, and yeah. Memphis sure. With Whalem. I'm like, I need to go somewhere that, you know, I need to carve my own path and see what I, what do you really have? You know, because sometimes you need to do that outside of whatever that dynasty is, right? And so, thank God, I was able to do that in Houston. And a lot of people think I'm from Houston because of Quincy Jones to this day. I have to tell them every time, like, no, Quincy, I'm from Memphis. I'm right, right, from Houston, right. man. <laughs> and then my, my nephews and my son, they went away from where, you know, my name might be, you know, oh, yeah, Waylon, you know, Kyle in Nashville, um, Kenneth, those guys in New York and Atlanta. Um, I'm grateful for that. They take that seriously too. Like I gotta, I gotta be my own person Absolutely. and be grateful for that family. Lineage. Sure, sure. I got you. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the great things that we have going on here at Diddy TV is that we're interactive. Okay. And we have an audience out there, and sometimes the audience get in our chat room. All right. And they like to ask questions of our wonderful guests, like you tonight. So, uh, we have one of our other executive producers here, okay. uh, Amy. And uh, Amy, I believe, Amy, are you out there someplace? Yes, I am, Lee. See, wow. see the, like the voice of the God. omnipresent voice, wow. the, the beautiful voice of the angelic. Boxes are breathing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Now, Amy, do we have any questions from anyone that Kirk might, might be able to answer this evening? My mom. We do. We have a question from Michigan. Um, a young lady asked uh, Kirk to tell her a little bit about the project that resulted in his Grammy Award. Ah. Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, Thank you for that question. And uh, to say that I won a Grammy, again, after being nominated 11 times um, as a saxophonist, I won a Grammy as a songwriter. Right, <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I don't know what the message is there. But the, but the song that I co-wrote with Jerry Peters, who wrote uh, the song, You Got Me Going in Circles. Oh, He's man. You got me going in circles. Sing it, Lee. Ke no, Kevin can sing it better than you can, too, <laughs> but go ahead. That's all right. So yeah. the song that Jerry and I wrote, uh, we wrote for the great Layla Hathaway for the record. Yeah. The Gospel According to Jazz, Chapter 3. And that song is called It's What I Do. And that song, I truly believe, um, when I heard that that song, one, we were there at the Grammys, right? I started not to go because it was like, I can't take this anymore, man. I, you know, right, you know, right. 11 times, yeah. but hey. So I'm going to go. And when they say we won, I literally almost didn't get up because I'm like, no, nah, this is gospel song of the year. I'm like, I'm a jazz saxophone player. There's no way that they meant this, you know? So I'm like, I'm waiting for them to go, oh, I'm sorry, we meant so-and-so. But they didn't, they were like waiting. And when I went to receive that um, um, award along with Jerry Peters, the thought in my head at that moment was, wow, this, this is a message that God intended to get out, you know, because the song, the way it was written, the lyric came from, I used to tuck our kids in uh, most nights, I was the one that did that. And if I was in town, and I, and I would say to them, there's nothing you can do to make me love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you any less. In other words, I love you, period. Right. You see, that's, that's the love of God. That's the love that, that God wants us to, to share with our, our, our world, right? And so that lyric came from that song. Don't ask me why, don't wonder how. Don't bother asking how it's possible for me, God, to love someone like you is because you're mine, it's because you're you. It's because I'm love, it's what I do. Oh man, beautiful. That's wow. it, man. And, and it was like a, like a nursery rhyme, I guess, you know, but a really jazzy one. <laughs> right, and, right. and stylistically, that song is very jazz. It's like Lady Day, you know, it, it's like Billie Holiday. Because we were trying to put Layla in this space 
where it was really jazz, you know, where, where there was no question about what we were trying to get at, you know, upright bass and, and the brushes on the snare and, you know, like 1945. And sure enough, man, that song won Gospel Song of the Year. So again, it, to me, it's a miracle. And I, I appreciate her asking that question. Thank you, Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now, you know, um, when we're talking about that, uh, Jerry Peters is, is actually a very good friend of yours, right? Yeah, is that true? Is, yeah, well? we're very close. I met him in Memphis when I was 12 because I was in a singing group. <laughs> Long story. I was in a singing group, and he was here on assignment at working at Jerry Butler's Record Company in okay. Memphis, which uh -huh. probably lasted four years. And we, you know, we're, we got a contract as a singing group, my brother, myself, and a guy named Jocko Westbrooks. And uh, so we were, you know, little kids trying to be the Jackson Three, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah. and the labels were were trying to find them some more Jackson Fives. You know, everybody wanted to compete with the real ones. And our record deal didn't last very long. But uh, but that's how I got sort of in the business, as it were. You know, just a little taste of it. And Jerry Peters was the songwriter, the staff songwriter. I got you. Well, listen, I know we've also got uh, Kirk a, a video clip that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that your folks sent to our folks, okay. you know, your folks sent it to <laughs> our people, folks, and uh, we're actually going to uh, roll some of that clip right now cool. and, uh, and and see what uh, we're chatting about. Everybody has what we would call a desert island list of music, sort of a set list, a list of songs that you want to be listening to when everything else is just shut down. For me, the top album on that list is John Coltrane, Johnny Hartman Ballads. To say that my respect and admiration for John Coltrane is, is paramount, I think goes without saying. Especially, I wanted people to hear his music in this way, set apart from his own performance of it. These songs and the way that he and Johnny Harbin put them together have a very special entrance into people's hearts and lives. This music is being uh, presented to a new generation. I'm not the only one doing that, but, but to do the whole recording with the vocal and everything in the same order, I think it's, it, it could actually bring a, a, a totally new and contemporary listening audience for this amazing music that touched my life. For me, in doing this tribute, I knew from the beginning that I wanted to include my brother Kevin. It's stunning to hear when you listen to the original and you hear the sound of Johnny Harper's voice, you listen to Kevin and you say, wow, that is absolutely, it's the same impact in the, in the sense that it's just that vulnerable, it's just that authentic. My involvement uh, with Romance Language came when Kirk approached me several years ago, actually, about doing a tribute and doing it our own way to that great record, uh, the Ballads record by Coltrane and Hartman. So when I went to uh, check it out, I was just blown away by Hartman's tone, his pitch. These are things that I kind of really swear by in my own career. What is it that made you choose the other four songs that are not on the original record? 
For me, that was a very important decision because you're talking about juxtaposing four new or untried songs to four classic songs. I had to just sit down and, and look in the mirror and say, okay, you gotta step out there and just just put your heart out there on, on your sleeve and say, these songs are important to me. We decided to do this Brandy song, Almost Doesn't Count. And for me, it was almost funny when, I, when it came to me, oh, this would be perfect to have you, the young guy, doing these older songs and then have our Uncle Peanuts at 83, 83. doing a new song. Like, with, with 83 year old sensibilities and interpretation. Right. It's beyond, it's beyond description. Almost doesn't count. Doing this recording, Kevin, with you and doing it live with the band, all at one time, not adding this and adding that or sending a drive here and sending a file there, there was a certain electricity. There was a certain empathy, a musical simpatico that people, I believe people will hear right away. Yep. Kevin Turner on guitar. John started on piano. Braylon Lacey. Braylon Lacey on bass. Marcus Finney and on Marcus Finney on drums. These are some of the best at what they do. You don't have to take months and months to do a good, a good record. How long did it take us? Four and a half days. <laughs> <laughs> and then we mixed it in four and a half days, right, and, right. and now you have it. Romance right. language, Kevin Whalum, Kirk Whalum. Check it out, kirkwhalum.com. I know you got a smartphone, and I know you love music. You represent a whole lot of people. Well, I want to give you a special gift. We did a, a, a version of this recording in what's called live audio. Right. And now you and all the listeners can hear this recording almost like they're sitting in the studio with us. You put the music on, you download it onto your smartphone, you push play, the speaker is gonna play the music, but not only just play it, it's gonna sound like it's 3D. That's a jam box by Jawbone. Go to yeah. kirkwhalem.com and check it out. It's a great thing. Unbelievable piece there, Kirk. I mean, what a great uh, story about romance language. Tell us just a little bit more about it sure. in live. Absolutely, action. yeah. First of all, we started with the concept of reimagining a great piece of music called John Coltrane, Johnny Hartman Ballads. Mm. Six songs that they recorded in 1963 that just, I mean, people have worn out copies, you know, seven or eight copies and just still bought another, you know, back when people were wearing out copies of things. <laughs> now it's like, you know, it's online. But we decided to, to do this as our own kind of, you know, I, I don't know, it's, 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 it's like, looking back to what was awesome and seeing if that can be relevant now. And it turns out it is, you know, because there's a whole lot of people who don't know that record. There's a whole lot of people who are now into, you know, jazz and R&B music who, um, who, who hadn't either not old enough or they just weren't into that particular kind of music. So we did that and we added, because nowadays you can't put out a six song, you know, project. Um, we added four songs. I say we, we added four songs that really had 
um, a, a connection in my heart, you know, songs that really impacted me that I thought were so romantic. And, and the idea that this title, Romance Language, again, I, I speak French and Spanish, and, and those are, you know, romance languages, and they are so, you know, si belle, and they are so beautiful. But to me, again, the language of music is far above any language. And oh, yeah, it's, it's so universal. God, man. And, yeah. and, you know, the, the love, the spirituality of, of the language of music, that's really what we're trying to portray with the, with the album. And the last thing I'll say, besides that, I was able to use my whole touring band uh, on this record. They're all awesome studio musicians. I also was able to, let me name them, Marcus Finney on drums, Braylon Lacey on bass, Kevin Turner on guitar, and the great John Stoddard on keyboards who also um, co-arranged and co-produced, as well as Ralph Lofton on the organ. But I used and, and, and collaborated with my brother Kevin on this record. You know, basically it's the first time we did like a whole project together. And I am just so, so impressed. You know, I mean, he, I've loved my brother singing for a long time, but this I think is the very best he's sounded. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we just heard it and, and he has such a smooth, uh, angelic and wonderful voice. Uh, la música eh, está bien. Estoy completamente de acuerdo contigo. Absolutamente. <laughs> yo, yo sabe la, las palabras sí. están bien. So, claro. Yeah. claro. <laughs> now listen, through the magic of TV, I see that uh, you now have your sax. It your just axe. dropped in my hand. It just man. dropped it's in amazing. your hands, you know, and you're going to do just a little piece yeah. for us right here on Diddy TV. Okay. <laughs> call it a little ditty a little ditty a little ditty a little ditty there we go God. hey a little so, ditty uh, on ditty tell tv the, tell the guys we're going to share the publishing yeah right right <laughs> yeah right exactly you're a musician but also a businessman let's get the business done yeah you're a businessman i'm doing some business here absolutely that's that's something else well now kirk uh there's something else that we need to talk about before we uh, get ready to finish our conversation in jazz today yeah. And that's about your work with kids and your work here as the president and CEO, I believe, of the Stax Music Foundation. Yes, Is that sir. right? I'm the Tell us chief about creative officer of the Stax, actually of the Soulsville Foundation. And okay. the Soulsville, of course, is a word that Isaac Hayes made famous. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about where? Memphis, Tennessee. But the Soulsville Foundation, uh, there are three entities. There's the Stax Museum of American Soul Music, STAX. Uh -huh. There's the Stax Music Academy, of course, my baby, and there's the Soulsville Charter School. And all those entities are making history and celebrating history in a very unique way. Very good. Okay. Now, listen, um, people have got to get over there and see the museum, too. Oh, man, you've got it's to see it. Every American should come to Memphis, see the Civil Rights Museum, the National Civil Rights Museum, and see the Stax Museum of American soul music. Those are two things that every American should see. And, and they're right around the corner, yeah. in this case. And Graceland. Yeah, and, and Graceland, absolutely. Jack Soden would love you for that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I need to ask you this. What's on deck next for right. you? Right, I'm working on a project now called Say It. And uh, it, it, 
more or less, it's a, it's about the connection that I've spoken of a little bit uh, between us, you know, horn players and and folks who you know who, who need their their lives impacted by something that's that's nonverbal, and so say it is about how to connect with people um, using this instrument and people like Hank Crawford, you know, I, I can just say I could just single him out. There's others, you know, you know, Cannibal Adderley and others, but in particular Hank Crawford, I'm writing with him in mind. I'm writing sort of, sort of kind of, uh, I guess, a coda, an addendum to Hank's life, you know, which ended too soon. Um, mm -hmm. But to say that, you know, that there's so much more to be said through these instruments. But the old, the old guys used to say, you know, you, they'd hear a young buck like me, and they'd say, man, playing a lot of notes, you ain't saying nothing. Oh, okay. You ain't so saying, saying nothing. You gotta yeah. be saying something. Like, what is it that you, what is it you're communicating? What are you sharing? And hopefully, this will be a record that'll impact people like that. Is it a tribute to uh, to these great it, it's players? It's not so much a tribute as again, it's it's like a continuation. A continuation. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very good. And you know what? One of the things that you do so eloquently is you communicate so effectively with children. You're working obviously at the Stax Academy uh, with kids. What is your message mm. to the kids, man? Yeah. I mean, how do they get to where you are spiritually, professionally? Uh, personally, I mean, what would you have to share with them before we go off today? Sure. Every child, and we're all children, every child is unique. God has put a, 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 a thumbprint. Each one of us has a, a separate, unique thumbprint. And that really it comes from God. It's, it, the, the DNA of all of that was masterfully accomplished by a loving creator. But it's not just so that we can uh, get rich and famous. Uh, it's so that we can share God's love with each other, with the world. And so there's something profound when a, a child comes to that realization that, wow, God really does, must really love me because this is something that I have, this gift is something that I have inside me. Nobody else can say they have it quite like me. So I have a big responsibility. I have to work this thing out. It's a collaboration. God's part and your part. God has done his part. And now it's up to you. And each one of those kids, for instance, at the Stax Music Academy and Soulsville Charter School, they're going to make an impression, an impact on the world because they're understanding. They're coming to that aha moment where they understand both the gift and the responsibility. It's a powerful combination. Wow. Fantastic. How do people get in touch with you? KirkWhalem.com, K-I-R-K-W-H-A-L-U-M.com, <laughs> or at Kirk Whalem on, on Twitter and forward slash Kirk Whalem on Facebook. On Facebook as Hit well. Me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kirk, let me just say this. Um, I appreciate you stopping by today at uh, my jazz joint here on Diddy TV. Uh, we're so happy that you joined us out there in Diddy TV land, if you will. And uh, we hope that you'll join us again soon for another conversation, whether around the world or around the corner, with jazz greats on Diddy TV. It's a wrap. <laughs> Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.